Hello, Skywatchers. Thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Look Up podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Ophelia. And we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in November in this cosmic diary. When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way and other galaxies, it's important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on the red night vision mode. As we slowly make our way towards the winter months, one of the most well-known and easily recognisable constellations, Orion the Hunter, makes a welcome return to the night sky. Its familiar shape plays host to a number of fascinating sights for observers. The Orion Nebula, an enormous cloud of interstellar gas and dust, is one of the most active star-forming regions in this area of our galaxy. It can be found just below Orion's belt in his sword and is visible through binoculars or a small telescope. If you're a keen astrophotographer, then this nebula is an excellent target to hone your skills on. The constellation's brightest stars, Betelgeuse and Rigel, are clear examples of how stars can have different colours depending on their temperatures. Even to the unaided eye, Betelgeuse is a deep orange-red colour, while Rigel is a bright blue-white. Each are supergiant stars late in their evolution, and both are candidates for a future supernova. If Betelgeuse did explode, the bright burst of light would be visible even during the day and last for many weeks or months, which is a sight I would be so excited to see. If you follow Orion the Hunter's gaze across the night sky, you'll come across a cluster of bright blue stars, the Pleiades star cluster. The Pleiades are sometimes called the Seven Sisters, as you should be able to see seven bright stars in the cluster with the naked eye, but this does depend on your eyesight as well as the observing conditions. Grab a pair of binoculars and you'll see that there are actually hundreds of young stars inside this open star cluster. The stars of the Pleiades cluster are cosmic babies, only around 100 million years old. This cluster also contains a reflection nebula, a spectacular blue-coloured nebulosity that stands out in photographs taken of the nebula. The cloud of gas and dust producing the reflection nebula just happens to be passing through the stellar cluster. Just like light bounces off a wall, starlight from the cluster is reflecting off the gas and dust producing the stunning reflection nebula. The distant ice giant Uranus reaches opposition on the 9th of November and will have a magnitude of 5.6, making it barely visible to the naked eye. I personally have never seen it, but it's technically possible to see. If you are keen to test your eyesight out, then it's best to wait a couple of days so that the faint light from Uranus doesn't have to compete against bright moonlight. Jupiter continues to put on a dazzling display this month and is well worth a view through a pair of binoculars or a telescope. The crimson colour of Mars makes it easy to spot against the dark night sky and is another target worth looking at this month. Mars is slowly making its way towards opposition, which it reaches in December, so its brightness will increase steadily during the month. Saturn is still up in the evening sky, but if you struggle to spot it, you can use the moon to help you. Look towards the first quarter moon on the first of the month, and you'll see Saturn to its top left. On the 17th and 18th of November, between midnight and dawn, the peak of the Leonid's meteor shower will occur. These meteors can appear in any part of the sky, but if you trace them back, they appear to come from the constellation of Leo. The space rubble responsible for producing this meteor shower comes from Comet Temple Tutul. While not the biggest meteor shower of the year, the Leonis is probably best known for its semi-regular meteor storms, when this moderate shower becomes vastly boosted. Unfortunately, the densest clouds of debris that can produce exceptional rates won't be encountered again until 2099, 
while more moderate storms may be a decade or so away. You can expect to see around 15 meteors per hour, and this year, the meteors won't have to compete against bright moonlight, as the moon will be in its last quarter phase. Hunting for meteors like the rest of astronomy is a waiting game, so it's best to bring a comfy chair to sit on and to wrap up warm, as you could be outside for a while. For those living in the southern hemisphere, follow the Milky Way across the sky to find the constellation of Puppis the Stern. This constellation was once part of a much larger constellation called Argo Navis, which represented a ship that carried Jason and the Argonauts on their mythical journeys. In the 18th century, the constellation was broken up into three smaller constellations that make up different parts of the ship, with Puppis representing the stern, Carina being the keel, and Vila the sail. Interestingly, because the stars were not redesignated after splitting of the big constellation, there is no Alpha Puppis star. Instead, the brightest star in Puppis is Zeta Puppis. The constellation contains a number of star clusters for you to choose from. NGC 2477, also known as Caldwell 71, is an open star cluster located around 4,000 light years from the Earth. This one is easy to spot with a pair of binoculars, and this cluster is so rich in stars, it's often mistaken for a globular cluster. Another open cluster to look at is M93, a small but bright stellar cluster whose component stars appear to have come together to form a squashed letter Z up in space. If you take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our night sky highlights blog on our website, rmg.co.uk. But now, it's time for our cosmic news! Yay! So, it is now time for the cosmic news section of our podcast, where we bring you two stories from astronomy and space news from the past month. And then we get you, the listener, to vote on which one is your favourite. So for last month, we had Tanya joining us. It was me, Jess and Tanya talking all about asteroids. It was asteroid month. So we had the updates on the Hayabusa 2 mission. And we had, of course, the DART mission, that big collision, that deliberate collision into an asteroid. And I can announce, I can reveal that Tanya's story, the DART mission, did win last month's podcast. It was a very exciting story. So I'll give them that. <laughs> and joining us this month, not for the first time, but for the first time in a while, is Ophelia. Hello, Ophelia. Hello. Are you ready for our two new cosmic news stories? That's hard to say. <laughs> so our two stories for this month. Would you like to go first? Sure. Yeah. So my story uh, is about Uranus. Uranus is known to be the only planet who orbit around the sun on its side. So we say mm-hmm. that it sometimes, you know, rolls around the sun rather than uh, sp- spins. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, which is a cool fact, but but it's not news, is it? No, that's no. not news. Uh, in the past, we thought that maybe uh, Uranus got knocked over on its side because of a big collision. Something crashed into it, knocked it over, but. Uh, there's a new idea uh, that comes from uh, Malayne Saulenfest from the Paris Observatory in France and their work has shown that something a little bit more gentle might have happened. Instead of a big collision, it could have been caused by a, uh, a, an ancient moon that slowly drifted away from the planet. Um, so we know that moons do this. So planets or anything that sort of spins on uh, on an axis tend to uh, wobble as it does so. Uh, we call this a precession. 
and the idea is that when this ancient moon was moving away from Uranus, um, it tugged on Uranus, uh, which sort of um, exaggerated the uh, procession, um, making it a bit more wobbly. Um, and there came a point when uh, Uranus was sort of so far on its side that its uh, spin stuck like that. Wow. How long ago did this happen? Billions of years ago. Billions of years, Billions ago. Of years ago. So they uh, they figured out that the moon uh, was only about a thousandth of the mass of Uranus. And uh, it moved to a, a distance of about ten times the radius of Uranus. Mm-hmm. And uh, it they think that it might have uh, moved away at the same sort of rate uh, as the moon is uh, currently moving away from from the Earth. Okay, so very important question. Is the Earth going to be dragged over onto its side? Probably not. Mm. Although we do think that the Moon helped to stabilise the the Earth's precession, the Earth's wobble over time. And so we think actually the Moon was quite important for life to evolve on the Earth because it stabilised this wobble, which meant that the seasons and the climates were a bit more stable. Um, otherwise, uh, we could have had, uh, you know, very, very hot summers lasting for many, many days, many, many days, <laughs> lasting for many, many months, many, many years even. Um, and in that way, it kind of did the opposite. It stabilized the, the procession and made it um, more habitable for us. Okay, that's good. As much as I complain about autumn and winter, I'm glad. I'm glad we haven't got seasons like Neptune. Like, I haven't got seasons like Uranus has seasons. <laughs> that would be unpleasant. So for us, the moon isn't isn't causing this, but for Uranus, it's possible it was a moon. Do you know how how they work this out? Maths. Maths. Just <laughs> lots of maths. Um, they ran simulations. Um, so because. They knew that our moon is moving away from the Earth. They know that other moons uh, going around other planets are also moving away from their planets. They thought, well, maybe maybe Uranus had uh, the same thing happening to it. And if we look at all of the giant planets, so Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, most of them have large satellites orbiting around them. And Uranus is the only one that doesn't. Oh. So they thought, oh, maybe it used to in the past... What happened to it and what what did it do? Intriguing. So Uranus has 24 moons, but you're saying none of them are very big. None of them are large. No. No. Okay. <laughs> so at the moment, we're both education officers here at the observatory. We get lots of questions from school children. They often ask why Uranus spins on its side. And I say that the theory is something collided with the planet billions of years ago and knocked it on its side. Should we now change our answer? Maybe we should say that we're not entirely sure, but we Mm. have two good ideas for it. So the collision theory has a lot of good points, uh, but the main sort of thing against it is that, well, these collisions should have happened elsewhere. Um, a big collision happened um, billions of years ago at the Earth. That's how we think the moon was created. Something might have also crashed into Neptune, but why didn't Neptune get tipped over on its side? Uh, because Neptune and Uranus are, are very similar in some ways. 
formed from around about the same time, probably around the same part of the solar system. Um, so was Jonas just really unlucky or was there uh, another reason, something else that caused its tilt to go sideways? Okay. So because Uranus has a weird spin, um, its magnetic field is also offset um, from its spin. Um, and so it's actually very hard to know where the magnetic north and south poles of Uranus are. Um, and they were lost actually for a few decades. We lost them. We lost them. <laughs> they were detected by Voyager um, when the spacecraft flew by Uranus um, and they got lost. And the reason, the, the way that we found it again was by looking at the auroras uh, on Uranus. And I know you like talking about auroras, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> um, so whenever uh, space telescopes like the Hubble Space Telescope can see uh, the auroras on Uranus, then they can say, oh, that's one of the magnetic poles. And so um, that helps us to uh, to know sort of the orientation of, uh, of Uranus at the time. That's really interesting. I know, correct me if I'm wrong, when Voyager went past Uranus and it saw the magnetic field all, all messed around, one theory was that we'd caught it flipping because magnetic poles do flip but then Voyager got to Neptune and Neptune's was also kind of messed up and they were like oh maybe these ice giants just have really strange magnetic fields yeah, yeah they do have really strange magnetic fields so for the earth the magnetic field is pretty much sort of centered um the north and the south poles are you know fairly equal in terms of strength and um it's sort of located uh, or you know um if you were to draw a bar magnet inside the Earth to show the Earth's magnetic field line, that bar magnet will be right in the middle of the Earth. Mm-hmm. Whereas for Uranus and Neptune, they're offset, so they're not actually right, they don't actually go through the center of the planets. They're sort of slightly towards one side of the planets. Um, that's linked to the tilt, but also what's generating the magnetic field, right? Because they yeah. don't have magma cores like the Earth does. Yeah, yeah. So their magnetic fields, of course, in a different way um, to the Earth. Um, and it just basically highlights how much we don't know about these ice giants mm. and why we should send another spacecraft there. And hopefully NASA, the European Space Agency, and other space agencies are going to do that soon. If you're listening right now, this <laughs> <laughs> is the start of your campaign. To... It is. Right. Do you know of any missions currently in, in planning for, for the ice giants? There's a lot of uh, proposals. So actually, mm. I am part of a proposal to send oh, right. a, a space probe to, uh, to Uranus. It just kind of, we just have to wait and see whether NASA say yes and whether they have enough money to send uh, a spacecraft there. Does it have a name? this proposal it does but i'm not allowed to say oh, are you allowed to say that you're part of a proposal because we're recording if you yeah that is fascinating shall i ask you more questions about it at a later date when you can tell us more about it sure sure <laughs> that is great so my last question was if this is a theory that's been proposed this moon theory about pulling uranus onto its side what's the the next steps so we can't go back in time and check who was right hmm what do you think is going to happen next we just keep thinking about it till the end of time we'll never know (laughs) (laughs) um what they'll probably do is look for more evidence Mm -hmm. um so they could i think you know a spacecraft 
um, around Uranus will help a lot more because it can help us um, learn more about what it's made of, uh, which could help us find out more about its history and how it was made. And from that, maybe um, basically more, more about its history and mm-hmm. what sort of went on. Yeah. So we'll have to wait for your proposal to be accepted, the spacecraft to get to Uranus, to study Uranus, to analyze all that data. Then we'll know who was right and how Uranus tilted on its side. Maybe. Maybe. Or we we may never know. Well, that's a good plan. I think we should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have another news story for you. I do want to win, because I don't think I've won this Twitter poll in a couple of months now, but I've come to you with a very sad news story, so maybe this isn't a good idea. Um, Sad for some people, not sad for everyone. So you may have heard of the Arecibo telescope. So it's a very very large, very famous telescope, a radio telescope. It's based in Puerto Rico. It's operated by by the US, by the National Science Foundation. Um, And a few days ago, at time of recording, so in October 2022, the National Science Foundation announced that they were not going to repair this telescope. They were going to let it keep on falling down and instead just focus on building an outreach and education centre at the same spot. Okay, so... It'll be, it'll still be remembered in another way. Yeah, yeah, it'll still be remembered. And um, obviously we are in education and outreach. That's a good thing for us. And it's a good thing for them too. Um, but there are some researchers and some astronomers who are, who are sad that it's come to the end of its life. It has been running for a very long time. It was built in 1963. So it's been operational since 1963. Wow. Um, yeah. It's done so much in that, what is that? Six decades? Yeah. Um, but in 2020, a couple of the sort of cables across the telescope snapped. You have this dish, this 300 meter in diameter dish, which is massive. It was the biggest in the world for quite a long time. Sort of sunk into the earth, and that's collecting your your stuff. And then suspended over the dish, you've got your receiver, and that's suspended on these big long cables. You can look at pictures of it. It's probably better than me describing it. Um, it was obviously it's reaching the end of its lifespan it got damaged some of those cables snapped and dropped on the receiver dish and damaged it oh no yeah and they were trying to determine whether it was repairable and then later in 2020 they accepted that it was not repairable and they decommissioned it and the plan was to then safely decommission it and take it down um, but before they could do that more cables snapped the whole receiver dropped on the dish and it very dramatically collapsed and, oh. and broke oh that's really sad it was sad there are videos of it happening aren't there yeah, you I'm can see it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's um, famous not just for astronomy, it's also famous for other reasons. Have you ever watched any James Bond? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, for you it'll be famous for astronomy reasons. It's, um, in uh, the film Goldeneye, the 1995 Pierce Brosnan James Bond film, there's a very dramatic long fight scene filmed. It's not actually filmed on the telescope, most of it, but it looks like it's filmed on the Arecibo radio telescope, so you may have seen it before in that. Um, if you've seen Contact? Yes, I have. There you go, it's in Contact as well. Nine I haven't seen Contact. Should I watch Contact? Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay. Yes. So it's famous for popular culture reasons. Um, the video of it collapsing was very dramatic, so people might have seen that as well. Mm. Um, but I was having a look at the achievements over its lifetime, now that it's been officially decommissioned and they're definitely not going to repair it. It's done generally like an insane number of things. Right, like what? I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Determined that the rate of Mercury's rotation is 59 days. It was thought to be longer before that. They determined that. Um, it produced the first ever radar maps of Venus, because it has a radar facility as well as a radio telescope. It's got multiple things going on. And then the first ever exoplanet discovery was discovered using 
the Arecibo telescope data. Oh, wow. Yeah. What's, an, what's an exoplanet? Oh, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> the first ever discovery of a planet going around another star that isn't our sun. Oh, so an alien planet, an alien an world. alien planet, yeah. It was in 1992, and they discovered planets going around a pulsar, a very fast-spinning neutron star. The first planets going around a, a regular star, like our sun, wasn't until 1995, but the first ever was 1992, and that was groundbreaking. Right? That was a big deal. I wasn't alive, but I'm sure it was a big <laughs> deal. And then my favourite thing about it, the favourite project, favourite research it did, was the Arecibo message. Um, have you heard of the Arecibo message? Did it send a message out into space? Yeah, that one. Cool. You mentioned alien worlds. Mm. This was in the 1970s. Um, Francis Drake, who's the one who came up with the Drake equation, and Carl Sagan and others, um, wrote a message and then used the Arecibo telescope to send that message out into space. So they deliberately beamed a message out using radio waves um, to a location. They beamed it to a globular cluster in Hercules. It's called the Great Globular Cluster. Um, on purpose to communicate with aliens. Right. How far away is this globular cluster? About 25,000 light years. Oh, okay. So if it was sent in the 70s, it's, it's got a bit of time yeah, left yeah. to get there. Um, so in 25,000 years, the aliens will get the message if they're there. And then maybe they'll beam something back. And then in 25,000 years, we'll have our answer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Set your alarm clocks for it. Get yeah, ready. Everyone. <laughs> Put in your calendars. <laughs> Um, it, apparently this project, it wasn't meant to be a, we'll definitely speak to an aliens kind of project. It was meant to be a sort of exercise, a thought exercise in how difficult it would be to communicate with aliens. Um, because they put the whole thing in code and in that code, um, they included like the structure of DNA. They included, um, the chemicals for life, a little stick drawing of a man, a little drawing of the Arecibo dish, the telescope. Um, and they included all the planets in our solar system and because it was in the 70s they said there were nine planets in our solar system oh, right. which is nice so when they get it in twenty-five thousand years out there in the globular cluster it'll be out of date yeah yeah because <laughs> it's eight now <laughs> because pluto was was downgraded some people were apparently quite upset that they sent this message to the globular cluster because it wasn't done with the consent of the whole world it was mm. some people beamed a message to a place and you can't take it back it's gone now mm. We can't catch up with it because it's moving at the speed of light. Uh, but I, I'm fine with it. <laughs> they have my <laughs> approval, should they need it. <laughs> yeah, so I could go on about that all day and aliens all day. But the news story is that the Arecibo Space Telescope was super awesome and interesting, but has now finally broken down and will not be replaced. Um, but I did read a quote from a researcher at the University of Puerto Rico. They said that um, we'll still be seeing the name of the Arecibo telescope for years to come in research that is published because they have so much data, so much archive data. So it hasn't, its impact isn't done. Its impact on the world isn't quite over. That's, that's nice to know. Yeah. It still has a legacy. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. And maybe, maybe some of our listeners could work on a, on that data in the future. Mm hmm. Or now. Or now you could be working on it right now. <laughs> As you're typing. <laughs> Maybe you're watching Goldeneye as you also listen to this podcast and you're seeing it as you're hearing about it. Do you think aliens are real, Ophelia? I do, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're intelligent life forms. I don't know if we can ever talk to them, but I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, if you think about how many, you know, worlds there are out there, um, exoplanets, exomoons, for the Earth to be the only place in the whole universe to have life is a little bit weird. Yeah. 
No, I would agree with you. We've got to think about space and time, distance and time, but somewhere out there there must be something. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, we're talking about time. The uh, universe is pretty old. It's almost 14 billion years old. So life could have existed in the past um, and we've just missed them. Mm-hmm. Or they are yet to evolve on a different planet. So we just have to wait for them. Mm. Or keep on building massive radio telescopes and beam messages out at different places. It's one way of doing it. That is one way. <laughs> You're proposing that we, we travel to Uranus. Sorry, send a, send a spacecraft to Uranus, not people going to Uranus. Um, I'm proposing that all we do is send coded messages out into the universe. No more research. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's both our news stories. So listeners, at the start of the month, we will have a poll live on Twitter. So go to our Twitter account, which is at ROG Astronomers, and vote for your favourite news story of the month. Will it be Ophelia, the newcomer? <laughs> With Uranus and its tilt, or me and the Arecibo telescope. May it rest in peace. That's all we've got time for today. Until then, keep looking up. <laughs>